It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of The New Abnormal. I'm producer Jesse Cannon, and this week Molly and I are taking a much-needed vacation. But that doesn't mean we're not going to bring you more content. Today we have Catherine Colbert and Julia F.K., Colbert is actually the person who argued Planned Parenthood v. Casey in front of the Supreme Court, and Kay was instrumental in the legalization of abortion in Ireland. And they've now written a book called Controlling Women, What We Must Do Now to Save Reproductive Freedom. And we're going to talk to them all about that today. Molly and I will be back with our regular scheduled episodes next week. Hi, you guys. Welcome to the new abnormal. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So explain to me what was the impetus behind writing this book. The major impetus is that we saw that uh, the right to choose abortion and a whole wide range of other reproductive freedoms were in severe jeopardy. We'd never been in such dire straits. And we believe that a new strategy is necessary, that the same old, same old that we've been at for the last 40 years isn't working. And we need to think differently and more broadly about how to proceed. So what is the strategy? Well, the strategy is multifaceted. The major point is that the right wing had a 50-year strategy. They didn't just think they could do everything in one year or two years or five years. They thought long-term, and we need to do the same. So we need to be able to, most importantly, take back our political institutions, the state legislatures, the state courts, the Congress, and make sure that uh, those who support abortion rights and reproductive freedom more generally are in power and that they will use that power to help women obtain necessary health care. I mean, Kitty and I really committed to writing this book when we were on our way to listen to the Supreme Court argument in March of 2020 in the June medical case. And Kitty and I have been working together for decades and found ourselves in the same position outside the court, same t-shirt slogans, lawyers fighting over it, and you know, we're not getting any closer to getting access to reproductive health care and abortion through this Supreme Court. In fact, we all know we're getting much farther away. This Supreme Court, you know, is foaming at the mouth to take another case and start chopping away at Roe. And Kitty argued Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992 and really saved the heart of Roe. And since then, it's been all downhill with women on the margins just not having access to abortion. And you know, we thought we have to start telling people that there has to be a broader strategy than save row, save row, save row. So let's talk about the case that's going to come up in October, the Mississippi case. What is your sense of, I mean, a lot of people have said, and I've written about this a little bit too. I mean, it definitely seems like we have three Trumpy justices, right? We have three conservative justices who were pre-existing, and then we have three liberal justices. And we've heard, right, that there's been reporting that says that, you know, uh, Amy Comey Barrett is pretty excited 
to overturn Roe or whatever that looks like. Do you think it's going to be an overturning of Roe or do you think it's more likely to be a kind of kicking it back to the states, which is effectively the same thing? I think there is absolutely no good to come from this court. I see that there are six votes against us and whether they so whittle away at the existing law, which is my case in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, or totally overrule it, in either instance, women will... uh, be harmed. They will have an inability to obtain abortion services. States will go crazy to enact the most restrictive laws. So it's only a matter of time before the current law goes away and all of the the game will be either in the states or in Congress. We have to stop believing that the courts are our friend. I have to tell you, there are all these pundits that say, oh, you know, Justice Roberts not going to do this. Well, he will do this. Um, He's a conservative who's been anti-abortion for years. He has, in the last couple of cases, been more moderate to preserve the integrity of the court. But I have uh, no doubt in my mind that, at least in this case or one soon thereafter, what we now know as federal protection for reproductive choice will be either so whittled away as to be meaningless or no longer available. Are you surprised at how incredibly shitty that new Texas abortion law is, which is a really, some one of us <laughs> needs to explain it for the audience because uh, it's just shockingly uh, dystopian. It's shocking in a way, but it also is not surprising because it's basically shows how fervent anti-abortion politicians are and how emboldened they are from four years of Trump but even more of that, having you know the people who are supporting reproductive choice settling for way too little, and so the real shocker in the latest you know, um, prohibition to come out of Texas is not necessarily that it tries to ban abortion so early on at six weeks, often before people even know that they're pregnant, but that it allows anybody, I mean, any person walking down the street can bring a suit saying that somebody violated and had an illegal abortion. And that's bonkers. I mean, it's like a Shirley Jackson story. Yeah, it's just, there's just, let me just go back though and say the other side, those who oppose abortion have been remarkably creative over the world, over the years in finding ways to make our lives miserable. Uh, And this is just one extreme example, but not surprising. And the more surprising thing, in my view, is that A, it hasn't gotten more press and attention, and B, there was no organized resistance to its passage. And I think that's what we're saying in this book, is that we need to be much more, um, we, we need to fight like crazy, like what's happening around voting rights uh, when these kinds of efforts happen in the states and bring attention to what's going on. Because really what they're doing in this law is making sure that women who live in states where abortion is banned going forward will not be able to get help from other people uh, to obtain abortion services, particularly through Uh, medical abortion. Right. I am surprised that there wasn't more pushback to that Texas law because it really only got any PR because of the Times wrote about it a month later. But it passed in May, right, or six weeks ago. But is there someone who is challenging that law? Will it get kicked up to higher courts? It will get kicked up to higher courts. I mean, Kitty helped um, co-found the Center for Reproductive Rights. That was where I cut my teeth as an attorney. They do excellent work. There are a lot of great lawyers on this. But I think this also goes back to your question of what to expect from the Supreme Court. Like, 
that ship has sailed for abortion rights. We are already in a position where so many women are not able to access services and quite deliberately. I mean, and the Hyde Amendment continues to be in place blocking Medicaid coverage for poor women. And we all saw in the past year with the pandemic of how horribly inequitable access to health care is. Well, in abortion access, that's exactly the same thing. You know, women with money will always have more choices than women without. And you know, the number of women of color whose access to abortion is impeded is really disproportionate. Similarly, teens have to go through extra hoops, women in rural areas. So even if the Supreme Court were not as hostile as it is now, we've been in bad shape for a long time. And so in some ways, I'm not surprised that Texas didn't get the attention. We've gotten used to being beat down. And a lot of what motivates Kitty and me to get out there with our stories of the past and, and the future is that the present is just not acceptable. Do you think it's interesting? I mean, I think one of the ways in which the right has been victorious and it's sort of insidious and something that we don't talk about enough is the way in which abortion and birth control are no longer covered much in the mainstream media. That's right. I think there's this weird thing that mainstream media believes this is a quote-unquote controversial issue and that you have to point out both sides. To me, that's insidious because, of course, one side is in support of a constitutional right that's been recognized for 40 years, and the other side is uh, just trying to tear that down. And I, I just don't see how that's equal. But more than that, I think that because it's considered controversial, they just would prefer uh, not to talk about it. And by not talking about it, it means that the antis get uh, much more uh, play at the state legislative level because no resistance is covered. I think there's also what we call abortion fatigue. And I saw this a lot in Ireland well before the referendum there to legalize abortion. People want the issue to go away. It's a very common medical procedure, but one that people don't think about until it's in their lives sometimes. And I think what we're acknowledging instead of titling our book Controlling Women is that there's really a lot more underlying the issue than actual needing an abortion. It's about what you think about roles of gender and women's rights. And, you know, that seems like a Shirley Jackson short story. And we're all really familiar with The Handmaid's Tale at this point. And so I think what we need to do as a movement is to bring this issue into our call for gender equity and for racial equity. And you know, Kitty and I looked a lot at the Black Lives Matter movement, at the um, same-sex marriage movements, and how people were demanding their rights in a way that we've just gotten too sort of passive around abortion rights. And so part of what we propose is what we call a gender equality or gender equity amendment, where we really want a constitutional amendment that's going to be you know, much stronger than the privacy rights that form the core of Roe, um, and really look for something more permanent and long-term strategy, as well as we talk about a lot more sort of feasible, easily obtainable, or, or more realistic short-term solutions. But I think in the end, we really do need to put something in our constitution that recognizes gender equity. It does seem like abortion is, I mean, I know there are with caveats, but abortion is actually quite popular, right? The people feel that you should be able to get an abortion, right? You know, with 60, 70% support some kind of, it's maybe more. Most of America supports a woman's right to choose with 
what caveats for sure. And it's shocking to me that it's treated as such a like controversial issue and also that it's used as such a wedge. But I know it is. And it's so it just strikes me as a very tough time. You know, I almost wonder if if the first thing we should be doing is trying to get people to talk about it more. Well, I think you're right. We need to do that. I think we need to talk about it more and we need to be more aggressive in our resistance to all of these horrible laws that are being proposed at the state level. Uh, Because uh, that's where we have an opportunity, A, to uh, focus attention on the issue, B, that's where all the bad stuff is happening, and and C, that in good states, in in the blue states, in places where we have a majority, there's an opportunity to make real positive change, either uh, by passing omnibus laws or, re- or repealing restrictions that are on the books uh, that can really make a difference for women in those places. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's something I've really been needing to get off of my chest lately, which is that everyone and their mother should listen to the Andre 3000 album because it lifts my spirits on a regular basis, 1000%. We all carry around different problems, big and small. And let's be honest, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It's like this safe space where you can unload all those burdens and start figuring out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy can make a difference. I know this from firsthand experience. And it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for anyone who wants to improve their mental well-being. Therapy can help you learn coping skills. It can teach you how to set better boundaries. And it can make you be a better version of yourself. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which means it's convenient, flexible, and fits into your schedule seamlessly. Plus, getting started is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait? Take that first step towards a happier, healthier you with BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash the new abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash the new abnormal. The thing that I wrote about recently, which I was sort of shocked by, but it seems to be the next move in this is birth control. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? You know, my view is we need to have the pill be over the counter. That's one of the things we propose in the book. And I think that over the long term will help expand access to birth control. There's been a number of moves by the Biden administration to take out the gag rule, for example. That's all helpful. But the reality is, is both sex ed and contraceptive access are key to uh, reducing unintended pregnancy, which is at the heart of this issue. I mean, the real the real question is, do we think we want more abortions? Well, no, we want a, a circumstance in which women aren't facing unintended pregnancy. The only way to do that is to include sex ed 
in you know every school in America and make that comprehensive and and value free and uh, make sure that all people uh, have access to contraception free in my view is and easily available uh, all the better and you know I think we have had tremendous medical advances around contraception in particular medication abortion and I, it's really important to acknowledge that even when abortion is not legal or not accessible now, medication abortion provides a safe alternative and that some women are going to take charge and self-induce their abortions. They're not going to be able to travel. They're not going to be able to afford to take days off from work and find childcare for their kids and travel out of state. And so they are going to order abortion pills through the mail. In some cases, it'll be legal. In some cases, it won't. And we have to be very realistic that our movement needs to support women who are seeking to self-induce and make sure that they're not prosecuted, that they're not uh, you know, discriminated against in a way of um, that prosecutions tend to happen, that you know, it's largely women of color and women who are on the margins who become really subject to prosecution, either for self-inducing or for a suspect miscarriage and those kinds of things. So we are entering a new era where there are you know, better and safer contraceptive methods that need to be made available. But we also have to realize that medication of abortion is something that needs to be made much more accessible to a broader group of women. The irony here, of course, Molly, is that uh, in the days before Roe, uh, women weren't prosecuted under most of the statutes that banned abortion. But as we can see from the Texas law, the intent there is to really bring women into the mix and accuse them of crimes uh, when they go ahead and self-abort. And that's really a big problem, not only for those women, but for the rest of us who have to stand by and be afraid of helping women exercise their choices. Do you think that some of this is a reaction, like the the sort of irony of a Donald Trump presidency, right, this thrice-married adulterer, that he sort of normalized a kind of misogyny that we hadn't seen normalized with Republican, you know, just like he normalized racism in a way that we had never seen before, or at least we hadn't seen since the 50s, that he sort of normalized misogyny in a way we hadn't seen since the 50s? Absolutely. He certainly emboldened the right. I mean, we've never had a president who has just you know, spoken at the March for Life and done all these things and both, you know, it's not even a dog whistle with the anti-abortion groups for him. He's, he's all in. But, you know, like everything Trump, I feel like he brought out the worst and grew it, he didn't create it. And so when we're looking at where we are now, you know, almost 50 years post-Roe with abortion in this country, I can't give him all the blame slash credit. Um, and I think that, you know, equally what we saw in the past year through the pandemic around access to healthcare has been the reality for people of color in this country forever. And so when we're looking at how did abortion get chipped away and also the right to be a parent, I mean, a lot of times the reason somebody picks to have an abortion is because they can't support the family they have now um, and it's a socioeconomic issue for them. And so as a country, we really do have to come around to looking at what are we doing about childcare? What are we doing about paid leave, maternity coverage, those kinds of issues that the reproductive justice movement has really focused on as part of a whole reproductive freedom approach. It's, it is about abortion, and our book is very much about abortion, but abortion within the context of reproductive freedom and how do you really bring 
both gender equity and race equity together at the same time. So Molly, let me, I would answer that slightly differently in that I think that what Trump did not is not only emboldened the right, but he, he gave prominence to this kind of heterosexual white male tyranny that is intended to let the most obnoxious uh, women-hating people uh, be at the top of his agenda. And so, you know, like Trump was bad in so many ways, it's hard to list them all and his racism and his uh, homophobia and his anti-immigration policies and rhetoric were just prominent. But underneath all of that was an understanding that the, the white guys are supreme and the women uh, and particularly black women are at the bottom of the barrel. And that hierarchy has provoked just unbelievable bad policy at the state level because the legislatures, the legislators there are grappling with how to uh, enforce that hierarchical uh, status. And, and it's been institutionalized at the federal level because he left his sludge all over the federal judiciary from the Supreme Court all the way throughout the district courts and things as well. So, and they're all lifetime tenured judges, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I mean, it clearly is that Democrats have not been thinking on their feet and Republicans have been just stacking the courts for so long that now we are continually losing rights and there's and it's just sort of shocking to me. And so, you know, as someone who grew up with a a mother for whom Roe was like the crowning achievement of that generation's feminist life to see it in such peril. And, it, you know, in its imminent demise is pretty, is pretty rough. But Roe wasn't magic. I mean, it came from the work of your mothers and, and others of really building state by state, supporting women, getting access to abortion. And I think that's a lot of what we want to bring us back to now of saying, OK, where are the different building blocks? Where are the different strategies? You know, I don't want to have a 50 year plan because I don't want to wait 50 years, but we do need a bigger, bolder vision um, and, you know, that's what's going to motivate the politicians that we are going to elect, not just to sort of say, oh, I'm pro-choice and tick the box, but really to be champions of reproductive freedom, to really recognize that this is an issue about controlling women and, and how we live our lives and how we join the workforce or have our family and the size and timing and who we have sex with. I mean, I think that's a lot of what has been stigmatized and, you know, thrown under the bus through the Trump era as well of, you know, these personal private key decisions in our lives that are being dictated by somebody else's religious beliefs or political beliefs. It is, I think, important to mention that, um, you know, we still have not passed the Equal Rights Amendment. That's correct. And I don't, uh, you know, in my view, it's very, very difficult to see how that will happen in its current form. One of the things we propose in the book is the creation of a uh, gender equity amendment, which would be more ex- more and explicitly broader uh, than the current ERA. Uh, but obviously, we support the passage of the ERA. It's going to be difficult to do given the current Congress and the, the circumstances on the time limit that was put in the original amendment. And so in our view, an important thing is to think about constitutional change again in the long term. It's not the strategy we want today, but it's one we need to start working on and begin to think about language that's as broad as we can possibly make it so that 
other movements, the racial justice movement, the LGBTQ plus movement, are solidly behind uh, whatever is um, proposed. Yeah, I think that's right. This was so incredibly helpful and interesting. For people listening at home, what do you think is something that uh, they, if you're a woman listening at home or a man, what do you think is the thing they can do that would support So what we say in the book repeatedly is there's no one strategy. There's lots of strategies. And the most important thing is for people at home is to get active and to do something. Pick the strategy that you uh, are most comfortable with. It could be helping women. It could be working for state legislative change. It could be working on political campaigns. It could be uh, marching in the streets. It doesn't matter so much in the macro sense which strategy you pick. It's most important that you just do something so that we don't get this resounding dud or thud every time those who oppose our views take action. And do something in collaboration. I mean, Kitty and I have been collaborating to a pretty extreme extent the past year or decades, but I think it's really when we work together and do what fits for our community and for people around us and make these new alliances that will build a stronger, bolder movement. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Molly. Thank you. On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.